Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. So Psalms 145.13 is the next slide, and uh, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. This really is the foundation of all ministry, isn't it? whether it's healing ministry or a soup kitchen or leading your life group or a grow zone class, right? It's the foundation of it is that we start with God is loving toward all he has made. And this is the way that he moves. He, he moves towards us in love and compassion and mercy. Like that's his first impulse. Does God judge? He absolutely does judge. He is the judge. But judging, I think you can prove from Scripture, is not God's favorite thing, and it's certainly not his first thing. He judges when he has to, but he, his impulse is to move with love and compassion. I know it sounds really simple and really basic, but if you think about it, some of the things that we've said about healing malign God's character as a loving God. And that's where we really need to be careful. I mean, for example, uh, some suggest that, well, it wasn't God's will to heal someone. But that puts the Bible on shaky ground because James chapter 5 is very clear in commanding the sick person to call the elders of the church to anoint them with prayer. So if it's not God's will for a person to be healed, See, why would he tell us to seek healing, right? Um, or it's been said that, uh, well, I'm sick and this is God's will for my life, you know. Well, if that's the truth, then it would be a sin to take medicine, wouldn't it? And that doctor would be an instrument of the devil. So if it's not God's will, then why are you fighting God? If, it, you know, if it's God's will for me to be sick, don't fight God's will then. Just stay sick, I guess. I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just trying to highlight some of these things that we say that just aren't true and, and they malign God's character. Or some people suggest that being sick is God's punishment. But yet, if you think about it, we've got the whole book of Job that proves otherwise. Job's a righteous man. He... That's one of the disturbing things about the book of Job, is it not? He did nothing wrong, and yet he got the stuffing kicked out of him. So, so to suggest that it's God's punishment, shaky ground. Or to suggest that God wants to get glory by leaving someone sick. I've heard that before. Simply unfounded in Scripture. If that's the truth, then Jesus robbed God of glory every time he healed somebody. And I really don't think Jesus did that. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is just trying to highlight, like, we just need to be careful in how we explain the mystery of healing and why it doesn't happen. Um, we just don't want to fall back on faulty assumptions and bad theology that don't have any scriptural backing. And, and maybe instead, at the very least, we could say, I just don't know. Could, could we embrace the mystery of it rather than try to come up with some way to explain it that somehow is not biblical? Um, so to get into this, I think we want to start with uh, what I would say is the foundation of healing ministry. It, all healing ministry is rooted in the atonement of Christ, and it goes back to Isaiah. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, 4 and 5, we're, we're, we'll start there. And there's this, yeah, there we are. And you can also put your thumb in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. But Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, now this is a, you know, a passage of the Old Testament that's clearly messianic, um, widely accepted as pointing to Jesus the Messiah. So uh, it's referencing him. But Isaiah, of course, is 600 years before Christ, so it's a prophetic um, statement about the coming Christ. And he says this about Jesus, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So a lot of people read this and just keep it, uh, they, they interpret it as it's spiritual. Jesus, yeah, he died on the cross for our sins. Okay. However, um, I would contest that it's speaking that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and our sicknesses. Um, um, Jesus, when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve brought the consequences of sin into our lives. One of the consequences of sin, death, sickness. So when Jesus died on the cross, did he just die for part of it or did he die for the whole thing? He died for the whole thing. He died for the sin and the consequences of our sin. And so it's, you can apply Matthew, Isaiah 53, 4, 4 and 5 to our sicknesses. And we can do it with confidence because the gospel of Matthew does it. Look over at Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. This is how Matthew interprets, um, interprets Isaiah 53, 4. Let's see, I'll flip it over here. So Isaiah, uh, Matthew chapter 8, 16 and 17. Matthew says... Um, well, you got uh, so when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, observes the ministry of Jesus, healing the sick, casting out the demons, and Matthew says, this is to fulfill what Isaiah said. 
in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He's healing our diseases. Let's just look a little deeper. Matthew, go back to Isaiah 53, 4. It says, surely he took up, the word took up. He took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. That verb took up, and actually there's a slide here for this one too. The verb took up our infirmities is the Hebrew verb nasa. And it's the same word that's also used back in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 22. So Leviticus 16 is the passage of the Old Testament that outlines the Day of Atonement. The one day of a year where you take the two goats, scapegoat and a sacrificial goat, sacrificial goat gets killed, the scapegoat gets released into the wilderness. And this verb, nasa, to take up, is used Leviticus 16.22 of the goat, where the scapegoat is, you know, the sins of the people are put on the scapegoat and he's sent out. So he takes up the sins of the people. In other words, I guess what I'm saying is that I think that Isaiah then takes that same verb, that nasa, and he applies it to, he took up our infirmities. So he's taking up our infirmities, he's taking up our sin, and he's carrying them off. It makes sense. If sickness comes as the result of Adam's sin, then why wouldn't Jesus pay for that too? His death is complete. It covered everything, not just a few things. Um, R.E. Stanton, who was another, he was a contemporary of James Hickson, the guy that we referenced earlier, another 19th century healing evangelist. He said this, healing the body is not a side issue. It's no more this than the healing of the soul is a side issue. They're both parts of the same gospel based equally upon the same great atonement. In other words, I like to say, God's desire to heal you, it equals his desire to save you. It's his, his will to heal. You would say, I'm praying for uh, my, you know, my cousin to get saved. Well, you're praying in God's will for that, right? Because you know that God's heart is for your cousin to get saved. You can pray with the same sort of confidence for someone to be healed because God's desire is for that person to be healed. And you know plenty of people that don't get saved. True? But does that, does that discourage you from praying for their salvation? No. Well, I know plenty of people that haven't gotten healed. I feel like I should, not, I should equally not be discouraged in praying for their healing as well. Because I know that's God's heart. So that's just one biblical argument. Isaiah, it's rooted in Isaiah 53.4. It's rooted in the atonement of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins and he paid for the consequences of our sins, sickness being one of them. And so we can confidently ask for his healing. Whenever I go to pray for someone for healing, I often lean heavy on Isaiah 53, 4. I lean on the cross. Jesus, you paid for this person to be better. And so we're just asking you, Lord, to come and get what you paid for. You paid for it, Jesus. So come take it, heal their body, Lord, right? We stand in confidence on that. So let's look at some more. So here's another argument that we could make about 
healing, the fact that it's a part of God's own identity. You know, many of you are familiar with this, I'm sure, that God has, there are seven names of God in the Old Testament, seven ways that he's identified himself. And you've probably, you know, had the Beth Moore Bible study on this or whatever. It's a pretty popular thing, but we'll just go through it quick. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Uh, Jehovah Ra, he's the Lord our shepherd. The Lord, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our refuge. Um, the Jehovah Tzidkenu, uh, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. And the important thing to remember about these is these are all names of God that identify who he is, part of his character, how he's revealed himself to people, right? So is God still the God of peace? Well, of course he is. Is he still the God, you know, is he still our shepherd? Of course he is, right? He doesn't change these things. So is he still our healer? Yes, he is. And he's the one. And sometimes when I pray, I also call on this. I'm like, Lord, you're the one who said that you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. I'm just simply asking you to do what you said you do. That's all I'm asking for. And we submit, we, we humble ourselves before him. So let's not change God's name to, I was Jehovah Rapha. Let's just keep it at, I am Jehovah Rapha. Um, we see this most clearly in Jesus's ministry. Jesus healed every single person who came to him for healing. There wasn't one person that Jesus left out. Were there people whom Jesus didn't heal? Well, yeah, I guess you could argue John chapter 5, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, the man, there were a lot of other people, a lot of other sick people that day at the pool. But you could also say that any person who came to Jesus seeking healing, was healed. There wasn't a single person he turned away. Um, Matthew 4, 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Mark 6, 56, all who touched him were healed. Not just a few, all who touched him. Bill Johnson, a pastor at Bethel Church in California, he says, Jesus is perfect theology. And I like that term because he is. You see Jesus and you see God. He was 100% God and he represents God, of course, perfectly. So Jesus, the way that he lived, operated, spoke, perfect theology. So what's God's heart for the sick? Well, Jesus healed Every sick person who came to him, again, we can then make the case that this is God's will to heal. So let's just drill down into two questions, okay? What is sickness? And here's the next slide. What is sickness? And what's the timeline for healing? Um, so Francis McNutt, for these, the, these two questions, I get them from Francis McNutt, who was a Catholic priest. I think he's with the Lord now, but had a pretty profound healing ministry actually in the 20th century. And uh, he said this, there's four different kinds of sickness um, that you can identify um, that Jesus has come to heal. You've got the sickness of spirit, 
That would be caused by our own personal sin, right? Um, and this requires repentance. We've all, we've all got sick spirits. I mean, we've all done that. And so how, do we, how does that get solved? Well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It healed that sickness of the spirit just like that. Number two, sickness of the heart. And this would be emotional hurts caused by others, caused by stuff that happens in life. And this requires soul care. It requires inner healing. Um, this is where a ministry like Freedom Prayer actually can be helpful in caring for the soul. It's where counseling is certainly highly valuable, right? Therapy, um, sickness of the heart, emotional hurts. Uh, you've got sickness of the body caused by life. Sometimes, doesn't it? Or sometimes it's caused by unhealthy choices. So how do you fix that? Well, it requires healing prayer. And sometimes it requires a correction in lifestyle, doesn't it? Uh, the fourth way that we get sick is demonic, demonic oppression. You know that um, there's, no, there's no word in the Bible that is demon possession, that the, the word in the Bible that we say demon, possess, demon possessed is actually the word daimonitso. It's the Greek word, and it means demonized. Demon possession is a, a term that we've come up with over the years, but demonized. Uh, somebody who's bugged by, annoyed by, you know, uh, under the sway of, to one degree or another, of a demon, right? So that's just a little side note. That was free. But, um, right, so that's, the, and that requires an exorcism. I mean, and you, we have, you know, th sometimes there are power encounters and other times there are truth encounters. And some of you are familiar with the seven steps to freedom. Like, that's a truth encounter. That's where that comes in the place where you say, here's the lie that I've been believing. Like, I think Carrie mentioned it this morning. Like, we, we give the devil, we give demons power in our lives when we agree with the lies. And so identifying where I've agreed with those lies and left a door open, that's what Seven Steps to Freedom is really great at as a tool, identifying the lies, countering it with the truth, closing the door. Sometimes you do need an actual deliverance, you know, a power encounter, and that's valuable as well. The point is this, that there's different kinds of sickness, and it's important for us to identify the kind of sickness so that we can handle it appropriately. You say, well, what's the timeline for healing? And Francis McNutt says this as well, and here's this next slide. He says, some healings are instant. Hey, we love those. Throw away the, throw away the crutches. <laughs> yes, that'd be great. Some healings, though, are delayed. Um, I know I've prayed for people in the evening, and they were better in the morning. Have you seen that? Or you pray on whatever, a Sunday, and it's not till later in the week that they've, some healings are delayed. Some healings occur in process gradually over time. We actually have a biblical example of that. Mark chapter 8, 22 through 26, Jesus heals a blind man and does it twice. The first time, what do you see? People look like trees. And then Jesus 
heals him again, and his sight was clear. So there's a process to his healing. And sometimes healing does occur in process. We've seen people actually get healed. I've seen it personally when they go through the process to forgive someone. Because unforgiveness actually does, man, it has a lot of, it causes a lot of problems in our bodies. But I've seen people go through a process of forgiveness and be physically healed. Praise God, right? Um, Or some healings, let's just admit it, some healings don't seem to occur. At least not from what we can notice. Would you agree with that? That does happen. Um, I think we'd have to believe that ultimate healing is in heaven. You know, I know like we just, you know, we just lost Jack recently, right, as a church. And while, while I'll say there's a part of me that's disappointed that he didn't get to take Cindy to uh, what, Aruba or whatever they were talking about, some place for their 50th anniversary, right? And I'm, I'm bummed that they weren't able to do that, right? But at the same time, it's really hard to be too mad because he's in the presence of the Lord and he's never going to be sick again, right? And he's never going to die. And so praise God for that. So like when we're praying for healing, in a sense, like we're kind of just asking for more time in a way, aren't we? Because ultimately we're all gonna leave this earth some point. And um, so I, I like like the story in 2 Kings 20, Hezekiah. He's, he had a boil and illness and, and then he prayed and he was given 15 more years, right? Um, so that's pretty cool. Now, Hezekiah didn't use his time very wisely. That's what the scripture tells us. But the truth is he was given more time. And I think about Karis's mom, when I think about this and her testimony in that, you know, when Karis and I got married, um, her, her mom was battling breast cancer and uh, she'd had a mastectomy and was going through chemotherapy and all of that. And she was sick. She almost didn't make it to our wedding because she was, you know, her white blood cell count tanked and she was a tough girl though, she, she came. So, um, but her prayer was, that God would let her live long enough to see her daughters get married. And Karis was the first one. And then her two sisters ended up getting married as well. And her mom made it for that. And then her mom not only made it for her daughters to get married, get married, but to see all nine of her grandkids, right? And, and I remember that, that she made that comment um, shortly near the end of her life that God had more than answered her prayer, right? Um, so sometimes, like I said, when we're praying for healing, you're praying for more time, and God's gracious with that. He can be. So that's important. Um, but, you, but we also need to understand that there is an illness that leads to death, and that's what I love about this passage in 2 Kings thirteen fourteen, Elisha. The prophet Elisha, this guy had how many miracles under his belt, right? I mean, he had twice the number of miracles that Elijah had recorded. So no question about Elisha's ministry, true? And yet you see what the Bible says about him? 
He was suffering from the illness from which he died. So Elisha, who had been used to raise the dead for crying out loud, died of an illness. Huh. So <laughs> fancy that. So that's interesting, isn't it? So, so in other words, I mean, at some point we are going to leave this earth and maybe it's with an illness, maybe a bus hits me, maybe I just die of a nice old age and I, in my sleep. Like at some point I'm leaving this planet and I'm not doing it alive, right? Unless Jesus comes back. And so, and so we do need to pray. I think at times we need wisdom and ask the Lord when we're praying for healing, is this an illness that leads to death? Now, obviously, you're going to want to enter that conversation carefully when you're praying for somebody and ministering to somebody, right? You understand how that would be a kind of a tender subject. But I'm just saying, we want to, you, want that to, you want that to be in your heart and your mind as you're praying and you're ministering to people. Um, so um, Exodus chapter 23, 25, and 26 God says, worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I'll take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. But what's a full lifespan? It's not defined. So I like the prayer that uh, um, uh, Jim Elliott prayed, the missionary that was killed by the Aka Indians in... Uh, in Ecuador back in the 60s. And he said, Lord, uh, don't give me a long life. Give me a full one. And I've just always been caught by that prayer. I want a life that's full on, right, for the Lord. And if it's, if it's a life that makes it 58 years, praise God. Um, if it's a life that goes 100, all right. But I want it to be full. I want it to be full and I want it to honor him. My point is this, simply this, that it is always God's will to heal. Let's be clear, because he's Jehovah Rapha, that's in his name, and because Jesus paid for it on the cross. So it's always God's will to heal. And some people die from their illnesses. And these two statements are true even if they don't make sense in our brains. Um, so you say, well, why do some people not get healed? This is another area, wouldn't you agree? It's another area where we do a lot of damage and we need to tread carefully, see? So I just have two thoughts. The first is it might be an illness that leads to their death. That's possible. This is another slide actually as well. Or I'll just say we have more to learn. You know, there's a huge mystery. It's a huge topic. And none of us wants to pretend like we're the expert. But I, I love the scene in Mark chapter 9. Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. You know, they're having this great retreat. And the other nine disciples, for whatever reason, they got left out of the retreat. So where are they? They're down in the valley. And they're trying to uh, help this dad whose kid's epileptic and throwing himself in the fire, and he's demon-possessed and, you know, demonized, right? And they're not, they're not doing a good job of it at all. They're causing, a, a matter of fact, it's a chaotic, crazy scene down at the bottom of the mountain. 
And so Jesus comes down with Peter, James, and John. They've had their great retreat up there and, uh, you know, comes down into this chaos. And I could just picture it. I mean, the other nine disciples are probably just beside themselves. And here's this kid, he's having another seizure and he's throwing himself in the fire. And here's this dad who's distraught and you could just, the crowd is like, you can just see, it's a nutty scene. And Jesus, of course, heals the boy that, that fast, simple. And the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, well, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. The breakdown's on my side of the equation. And so it behooves us to, to dig in, like to learn all that we can, um, to practice, to exercise faith, and to approach healing ministry with a lot of humility. A lot, a lot, a lot of humility. And just say, Lord, I, I don't even know how all this works, but I'm just going to walk in obedience because I believe that you heal. And that's just where I stand. So I guess I just said in a nutshell, my whole take on healing ministry. We do it out of obedience because Jesus died for it on the cross. It's in God's name. So I know that it's his heart and I'm just going to walk in that. And if somebody doesn't get healed like I would like them to get, I'm not going to come up with some goofy reason. I'm learning to be content in the mystery, to be content with I, I, I saying I don't know either. And, and mourning with those who mourn and with rejoicing with those who rejoice. Can, can we not uh, just weep together, right, over someone who dies of an illness or can we? I think we can, right? But that doesn't mean that I don't keep praying for healing. I'm going to keep praying for healing because that's what God told us to do. So we're going to obey him in that, right? Um, so here's some practical tips on do's and don'ts. I just say it like this. Here's a, so don't, let's don't tell someone that they didn't have enough faith. That is just horribly hurtful and causes a lot of problems. And you know that, right? I mean, it's obvious. Um, the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So clearly, it's not about having enough faith. Number two, don't say that it wasn't God's will to heal. I hope that I've demonstrated to you from Scripture today that it is God's will to heal. So let's not go there either. Let's uh, do keep praying again and again and again and again. Be persistent like that widow that Jesus talked about who kept knocking be persistent. We're not going to give it up. You know what? There's no reason why we can't anoint and pray for somebody a hundred times. You know what I mean? Like there's no rule. Oh, it's a once and done kind of thing. You don't want to bother the elders too much. You know, no, let's pray over and over and over. Let's persist in prayer for God to heal. And then number four, don't ask why. Why doesn't really get us anywhere. Have you noticed that? Has that been your experience? I know it has been mine. Why does not really get me anywhere good? So what the Lord's telling us is learn to rest. Remember the first scripture that we read? He's loving towards all he has made. 
I'm resting in that. I know you are, God, and I'm going to keep believing. Just keep persistent. Remember, belief, faith is acting on God's word. So it's obedience. Faith is a verb. It's not a noun. It's something I do. I faith something. So I'm obeying. I'm acting on what God has said. That's faith. Number five, don't try to explain it because you, you can't. If you did come up with a great explanation, write a book. It'd be a bestseller, I'm sure. So don't even try to explain it. Instead, let's just embrace the mystery of it and let's embrace the pain. If somebody's hurting, we weep with them. That's okay. And then number six, don't tell them why they're, don't tell them they're sick because they sinned. It's another hurtful statement that the church has done, people have done before. Um, you know, you, as you know, of course, all sickness and death is the result of sin in general, right? So in that regard, we are all responsible for each other's sickness and death. If you think about it, my sin contributes to your sickness because my sin has brought the curse of, you know, upon this life, right? So don't tell them they're sick because they sinned. Um, and number seven, don't try to force some immediate proof of healing either. I think that that does a, personally a lot of damage. Um, you know, some of our brothers and sisters, they, they really want you to they, try it out. Anyway, so, and, and instead, you know, what, what happens then is we tend to fake it. Uh, and I'm, I guess I'm too skeptical. Like I said, Patsy's death 30 years ago rocked my world and it still rocks it. I'm, I know this much, I'm determined, like if this person gets healed, it's clearly God and it has nothing to do with Doug Rouse. It has nothing to do with the lights and the smoke and the music and none of that. Like it's, we, we obeyed the Lord and he moved, period, right? So I'm not gonna try to fake nothing. Um, so we pray with someone to receive, when we pray with someone to receive forgiveness from Jesus, what do we do typically, right? Somebody comes, somebody, let's say somebody comes to the altar tomorrow morning and they want to give their life to Jesus and they pray the sinner's prayer, let's say. And you, what, how are we going to respond to that person? Are you going to say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> All right, good luck, Bob. Right. Is that how we're going to do that? No, that's not how we do it, do we? You're going to Put your arms around them. You're going to say, welcome to the family of God, right? You're going, to, you're going to assure them and you're going to welcome them, are you not? We'll celebrate their decision to trust Jesus as their Savior. Do you have any proof that their life has changed? Zero. And do you not know, can you not think of a bunch of examples in your own life of people who did that very thing and today they're not walking with God at all, right? Okay, so in other words, what we're saying is we've all experienced failure when it comes to people's salvation, have we not? We've all experienced letdown when it comes to praying for someone's salvation. Doesn't keep us from praying for their salvation because we've learned this truth that what's going on in that person's heart is way bigger than you and me. It's an act of God. It's beyond 
my ability to control or my power to fix or anything, right? That is a work of God in a person's life, is it not? And so we celebrate what we have right here in front of us, and we trust it in the Lord's hands. And I'm saying we can do the exact same thing when we pray for healing. That I can pray for your healing, and I can celebrate what God's done in your life. I can celebrate his healing your body. I can celebrate his love for you, his desire to heal you. I can celebrate his work in your life. I can thank him for the healing. Can we not? Even though I don't see immediate results of that healing. Because I take it in faith. I take God at his word. He said he's a healing God. So I'm going to count on that. And then... When I see the evidence, oh, man, that is so cool. And when I don't see the evidence, what do we do? We keep praying. We just keep praying. Let's do it again. Let's keep seeking the Lord. Let's do it again. See, that's how we take it, friends. So here's what we wanted to do. I wanted to take a minute and pray for healing before we talk about suffering. I figured suffering might be too much of a downer, so maybe we'll... (laughs) stop here and we'll pray for healing. And then, you know, we'll end the whole weekend on suffering. That ought to be a great way to do it. So small group time. So small group, just here's what, uh, well, hmm. Hmm. How do we do this, Lord? You know, I mean, can we all just as a group do it together? I think we can do that. Maybe. Does anybody want to receive prayer for healing? We would love to pray for you today. We've got, okay, couple, couple. Oh, wow, okay, didn't, yep, okay. Well, let's have you guys come on down here and let's do this. Let's, uh, let's see, maybe, uh, do we have any more? That's three, do we have any, we have a, oh, we have four. I wanna make sure we get to pray for everybody. Five, okay. Anybody else? We've got five of you. So let's do this. Let's divide, let's divide you guys up then. Let's do that. So we'll have maybe a couple of you go over there and you guys get around them and pray for them. And then here in the middle and here over here. And we'll just pray for you simultaneously. And uh, so we got those two ladies. Perfect. We got Carol. Where's Denise? Is she, uh, she's coming around. All right. We got, and Pastor Robin, you can lead that time over there, right? And then I thought we had five, two, three, four. Oh, and, and then Carrie's the fifth. Okay, so, so then let's get around. Let's get around Carrie here in the middle, some of you guys. And we'll get around Carol over here. And Denise, you can come on in maybe right around here. <laughs> so you don't have to go too far. Now, here's what, here's what you'll do. Get, get around them and I'll walk us through this a little bit. So first thing is what are we praying for? And just, uh, if you would, just tell your group what you're, what you're trusting God for. We don't need um, a huge backstory, just need to know the presenting illness. So we can pray for that. Go ahead. I don't know, I've just, I was just praying about, you know, healing here and I've, I just kind of observed something in our church uh, in the last 26 years. 
And that is, it seems like, and again, only an observation. I don't have a Bible verse to back this up at all. So just let that be said. But my observation is it seems like healing and miracles, it's gone in seasons. Like we've had these, we've had seasons where, you know, people are, there's miracles and stuff. And then other seasons where hmm, not as much. And maybe you've observed the same thing, but, and I don't know why. I'm not even going to venture a guess why, but um, I just, so my prayer is, okay, God, then we want another season of healing. Let's see another season of miracles and breakthroughs, you know? Um, so just, just something I noticed as I was praying about it. Um, but I guess it doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't um, take away our responsibility to be faithful in prayer and obedient, right? Even if it's a season where it seems like not much is happening, we're going to be faithful in prayer and continue to go after it. And because um, it's in the Lord's hands ultimately. So let's just shift gears and talk about suffering just for a quick second, because again, we need to have, uh, we need to have a, a, I think, a, a better biblical understanding of suffering. Um, you know, we, um, we live in the West, of course, and we've, we live pretty comfortable lives, and it's really hard for us. And I, find, I find it really hard for me at all to talk about suffering because um, I've seen suffering. You know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, I've, I've been to the garbage dump in Brazzaville where little naked kids run around with distended bellies and live in literal garbage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, I, you know, I, I have a hard time complaining. <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's my point. So, but we do experience difficulty and we do experience suffering. Um, and uh, the Apostle Paul said something that I think is just crazy. Philippians 3.10, Paul said, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. We all love the first part of that verse. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, bring it on, brother. And then we'd love to put a period right there, um, but it doesn't. It continues. Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And I want to even become like him in his death. I, is Paul actually asking to be martyred? Is that really what he's, it seems like it. I want to become like Christ in his death. Jesus was martyred, if you will, um, somehow to attain then the resurrection from the dead? That's quite a prayer. You might want to, you want to put that in your journal. Lord, I really, I'm asking for suffering. I want a fellowship. But then I think about it. You know what? There is an, there is an aspect of knowing Jesus that I'm only going to know through suffering. Because Jesus suffered. And so, if I want to know Jesus in a, in a fuller way, right, in a more rich way, then I want to know Jesus in every aspect, don't I? Which includes knowing what it's like to suffer with him. And so it's a legitimate prayer. And um, uh, so 
Well, let's talk about it. The best approach that I think, that I guess I feel like the Lord leading to is just to look at three people in the Bible who suffered and to make note of the fact that they suffered differently. Joseph, Job, and Jesus. So Joseph, and Joseph, let's look at him first. Joseph suffered at the hands of others, right? His, his really bad brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. It's abusive, it's cruel, it's vindictive, and Joseph did not deserve that kind of treatment. So Joseph was a true victim of his brother's jealousy. You would agree with that? I mean, he was uh, abused. Let's just call it what it was. Yet in Genesis chapter 45, five through eight, Joseph is given this inspired perspective. And he says this to his crummy brothers. You know, you know the story, right? He's goes down, he's a slave and all that, yada, 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 becomes second in command of Egypt, the famine, the brothers come. We're pretty familiar with this story. But here's what Joseph says. It was not you who sent me here, but God. So did God cause his brothers to sell him as a slave? Like, did God make his brothers abusive, right, on a human level? His lousy, mean-spirited brothers sold him as a slave into Egypt. And I think you would say that there's two different levels of that, right? On the human level, his brothers made a choice. God gave them a free will. They exercised their will to do a really lousy thing. And do we not see that in our world? People using the will that God gives to them in really bad ways. The, your will is, is a powerful, powerful gift, is it not? Like with the will that God has created us, given to us, we can do great good. We can phenomenal good with that will. We can also do horrific evil. And so Joseph's brothers commit a horrific evil with the will that God gave to them. That's on an earth level, but then from a heaven perspective, a heaven level, God sent Joseph there to save lives. Evil for good. Yep, and three times in Genesis 45, he said, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So Joseph sees the hand of God somehow at work through his brother's ill will. Um, Rick Warren, he likes to say, God never wastes a hurt. And I find that encouraging. He doesn't waste a hurt. Doesn't cause it, doesn't mean he caused it. God just doesn't waste it. And if I give that hurt to him, if I give it to God, then what can God do with that hurt? How can he use that? So I, I love to hear, like, you know, your story your story is actually not your story. It's Jesus's story because he's the hero of your story. And so all the pain and the abuse and whatever it is that you've, the trauma you have in your background, right? Like not, to min not at all to minimize that or to justify the people who did it, but give that to God. 
It's let it be his story. And, and then watch what he does with it. That's what Joseph did. I think he, he takes it. His God didn't make Joseph's brother sell him as a slave. God didn't approve of that thing that happened. And so Joseph gives it to him and Joseph's able to see, you know what? It actually wasn't you guys. It was God who sent me here. And look at what he's doing with this. I pray that God gives you the same ability to see your own trauma, your own suffering that way. Then you've got Job. He's another example of suffering. Job suffered at the hands of God, didn't he? He's a righteous man. He didn't do anything to deserve the treatment that he got. Yet, Job refused to curse God. That's one of the things that stands out about him, isn't it? Job says God gives and God takes away. Job's, um, in all this, Job 122, in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. This might be your kind of suffering. You find yourself sick, maybe through no fault of your own, some, um, you know, ongoing illness. You, you didn't cause it. You're just going about your life and now there it is. And now it's a part of your life, Right? You've got, Job challenges us to persevere. I love what James 5.11 says about Job. James says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see that word finally? Love that word finally. What God finally brought about. Uh, we, you know the verse, all things work together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. Work together for the good. Um, right now, not so good. But I can trust in faith that it's working together for the good. Right? And Job, same thing, persevered. And God finally brought it about. And maybe the finally takes place here on this, in this life, or maybe the finally takes place when I actually get into heaven. But either way, the finally is guaranteed. And there will come a day when we can say, God finally brought about a resolution. It might have taken a long period of time, but he finally did it. And this is our hope. This is our hope. This is what we cling to. I can rest assured my finally is going to come one of these days. And then Jesus is the third example, and he's an example of suffering both ways. It was in the Father's will for Jesus to suffer, so that was part of the divine plan. And Jesus suffered at the hands of evil men. It was people who put him on the cross. But we all know that that was part of the plan. So it was both. Jesus suffered at both, both hands. But we all know and appreciate what his suffering accomplished for us, do we not? We just prayed healing for people. Why? Because of Jesus' suffering. Because he suffered, he paid for it, and now we have the confidence to pray for healing. See? So, but do you feel bad saying that? 
Does it feel weird? Like, yeah, you suffered really horrifically. That was terrible what you had to go through, Jesus. Thanks. Yeah. I don't think we do. We don't need to feel bad. So you look at what Jesus' suffering accomplished. Hmm. Um, and then Judas. Jesus suffered at the hands of an evil man, Judas. He's betrayed by Judas, right? And in the same way that Joseph got sold out by his brothers, Jesus gets sold out by Judas. And Peter says that Jesus, in the process, entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So in the example of Jesus, we have like um, a way for us to handle both of those situations. If I'm unjustly treated, Jesus trusted himself completely to him who judges fairly. He left Judas in the father's hands. We'll deal with him, you know? And when Jesus is in the will of God suffering, he submitted to the will of God, knowing what it would accomplish, right? So here's Job, Joseph, Job, Jesus. Three examples of godly people who suffered. So what do we take from this? Well, I take that suffering uh, is part of the plan somehow. Would you agree? Um, I also take from it that God has a, a, a greater purpose that he's accomplishing in this. Um, and I don't always necessarily know what it is. I think the uncomfortable truth is God doesn't always stop suffering. And sometimes God might even allow it, but he's able to use it for his glory and ultimately for your good somehow. And sometimes the miracle is you. And other times um, the miracle is the miracle. Um, I, I, I liked how somebody said it once that, you know, that sometimes God calms the storm, other times God calms the sailor. And both are miracles. And if you're the sailor in the middle of the storm, experiencing peace that passes understanding, that right there is a testimony that, wow, that, that the world stands up and takes notice. Why aren't you freaking out like, every, like you should be? the peace that passes understanding. And sometimes God answers the prayer and stops the storm. And that's a miracle too. So sometimes you're the miracle and sometimes the miracle is the miracle. <laughs> Pastor Robin told me this, I like this. You were quoting somebody, Robin. God has only one son who never sinned and no sons who never suffered. Is that how it goes? <laughs> he had one son that never sinned, but none of his sons, no. How's it go? You said it so eloquently. It was, uh, God, yeah, God, you know where I'm going with that, right? You, you, you got, yeah, you got, you got the drift. So, right. And I guess the, you know, I guess my, my approach in suffering, I think maybe our, our approach in suffering just simply needs to be back with the Apostle Paul in Philippians. 
I want to know you, Jesus, more fully. And so if suffering is a way for me to walk with you and share life as you know it, then I want to, I want to do that. Um, there are things about you that I can only know in that. So let's go there. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in. And if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org.